Sloan here. Welcome to my podcast series where I talk to some people I know about the influences, turning points and lessons from their lives. My guest today is an entrepreneur, someone who started several businesses, a motor racing enthusiast, a philanthropist, an old friend of mine, John Spears. John, hello. Hi Paul, good to see you. Good to see you too. So can you tell me when and where were you born? Uh, born in Bristol, 1950. And tell me a little bit about your your home and your background and your parents. So I was uh, an only child. My uh, my parents were were kind of strong achievers. You know, in those difficult times in the fifties of uh, sort of food rationing and uh, things generally being short supply, they uh, uh, they really wanted to get up and go and make something of their lives. Uh, we moved up to uh, to live in Surrey. My father's job was moved to uh, to London. But soon after that, he decided to set up his own business, and he did pretty well at that. And so we were we were fortunate to be one of you know one of quite a lot of people at that time, I guess, who were sort of enjoying the fruits of extra prosperity most years. And uh, yeah, life was pretty good. And and yeah, I met your father. He was quite a flamboyant character. He was by the time you met him. <laughs> but um, but uh, sort of interestingly for me. He was he was the younger and significantly smaller brother. Uh, he was very much initially under the shadow of his brother, really? and he had to make a huge effort to overcome that. And in doing that, yes, yes, he became someone who could walk up to anyone and start a conversation—a a trait I really wish I could acquire. But uh, yeah, so he—he's one of the few people I think who actually changed uh, the way he reacts. Has he always been a role model for you? No, no, not at all. To be honest, <laughs> quite a quite a lot of things I admired in him, but uh, but culturally and in terms of some of the things that are really really important to me in life, uh, we had quite different views. So we had a we had a fairly difficult relationship in many ways. When did you first evince an interest in motor racing or cars? Well, I, I was surrounded with cars all of all of my uh, growing up life, and my my father dealt in them pretty much every day. He'd turn up home in a different sports car and he'd take me to school in a Jaguar E-Type and uh, once I was 17 he'd, he'd let me drive some of these cars so uh, you know we'd go to race meetings uh, so yeah I mean uh, I loved it and, uh, and, uh, and I still do. And that's what got you interested in engineering was it? Yeah I think I mean we, we, we were doing a little kart racing and I'd do the work on the, on those myself so because I could handle the spanner and knew some basic mathematics uh, it seemed like the obvious course for me to do, and, and to be honest, I felt I felt I probably wouldn't find it too difficult to uh, to get a degree with with where I'd already got to in, in some of the key subjects. And we met in 1969, I believe. Yeah, yeah, right at the beginning of that at, uh, at Aldermaston. At Aldermaston, yes. We were both um, student apprentices, student engineers with the Atomic Energy Authority. Yeah, it's a mixture of you know a desperately. Uh, dull time but also kind of uh, you know a lot of very important stuff happening and uh, it was the first time I'd left home probably the same for you yes. um, and uh, and in many ways I mean I think my, my greatest achievement there was uh, as you know we had access to what I think at the time was the biggest or second most powerful computer in the country and we were learning how to use it and, and, and I 
you know, I quite took to that, and uh, and I I ended up because we weren't given enough real work to do building a building a program called Black Eagle that you'll remember well that was <laughs> designed to tell us what which social activity we should carry on each evening and set a map out a program for a month ahead, and and it's actually proved incredibly useful in my life because I, effectively I learned how to uh, how to construct a database and have various inputs into it, and uh, and that's been a tremendous uh, advantage for me in my business life. And then you went up to Cambridge. You were at Clare College. Yep. And um, what are your favourite memories of Cambridge? Well, the many many hazy. I mean, as like 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 many people, I. The main thing I learned at the university was how to drink. But uh, no, very, very fond memories. Uh, fortunate enough to go back there quite a lot. It gave me a lot of extra confidence in myself. Probably a bit too much, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think when, at that point you felt, if you'd been to Cambridge, that really the world was going to just fall at your feet. And uh, it took me a while to get over that. Yes. But, but yeah, overall, fantastic times. Not Not all the time, obviously. Very lonely the first year for me. Um, but but uh, but overall transformational. And um, you rode, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know I, I tried lots of sports at school, but I was rubbish at my, all of them. And uh, then I took up rowing, which I as a as a sort of nine stone seven weakling didn't seem the most obvious activity. But uh, but I got a bit better at it, and I became captain of boats at Clare, and we had a, we had a very strong crew. And there's a lot of things about rowing that, again, I found uh, helpful in life. The benefits when, you, when you're rowing at an eight, if you can get all eight people doing everything at exactly the same time, the boat really swings along. And I found, again, in my business life, that when you can get a team working together, it's so much more than the sum of the parts. And that's, that's one of the things I'm constantly trying to do. Yeah, I tried rowing, and you did it much more diligently than I did, but it's it's painful. The level of effort and perseverance and discipline needed, you have to be something of an ascetic to, to, to really enjoy that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those activities you do it for fun, but the fun is when you stop doing that. <laughs> and you were also very good at croquet, weren't you? Yeah, I played a bit of croquet there. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I played a little bit as a child and then uh, learned, learned the proper rules at Cambridge and then didn't do much. But then, you know, again, came in usefully about, uh, oh gosh, was it 12 years or so ago now, I, I started playing fairly seriously and, uh, and I managed to play at a couple of world championships and uh, get into the UK top 10 and, uh, you know, that again was a tremendous um, privilege. Where were, the, where were the world championships? Uh, South Africa and Egypt. Oh, wow, very good. So how did you get into investments and financial services? Uh, my father sort of bought me some um, some unit trusts when I was in my teens, and he'd always when he when he came back home he'd uh, he'd be talking about some of the shares he owned and how they'd gone up and down. So I was fascinated in that. So I started dealing in the stock market uh, well before I went to university, um, and the time I was there, I spent more and more time on that. And I, I realised before I left Cambridge that I didn't really want to be an engineer. I wanted to uh, to get into the city, and, uh, and so as soon as I I could uh, break away from the Atomic Energy Authority. That's what I did. And who did you work for first? Well, I wanted to get into stockbroking because that seemed to be where all the action was. But in 1973, the only uh, the only people they were employing were people who had some experience, and sort of the old catch-22 situation. Uh, and I managed to land a job with a British Airways pension fund who just were just doing a big expansion of their team. Right from the day one, I thought, I, I won't want to stay here, but this will, this will get me the experience. 
it actually turned out to be a lucky place to be because the next two years stock market fell 75% okay. and I'd have, uh, I'd have been out in the street if I'd joined a firm of stockbrokers. So, and, I, and I met some, some seriously uh, good people at, uh, at that pension fund who taught me uh, a lot of, lot of good stuff. So you learned how to analyse a business? Yeah, yeah, well, I learned how to read some accounts. It's only, it's only when you start running a business, I think, that certainly someone like me finds out much more what it's really like. Yeah. So what was the city like in the 1970s in those days? It was a very different world, and, uh, and I, I got my first um, experience of it when I turned up for my first day of work at a small firm of brokers called Galloway & Pearson, who were in a Dickensian office just opposite the, the stock exchange. And I turned up at about 9.15 and uh, was shocked to see the, the office doors locked and uh, no lights on. And uh, this was a period of three-day weeks and companies going bust every day. So I was thinking I've left my safe, secure job at the British Airways Pension Fund and, uh, and now I'm going to end up with nothing. So after a few hours, uh, someone who I perceived at that time to be an elderly gentleman, but is considerably younger than I am today, shuffled into view with a big ring of keys and started unlocking the door to my relief. And he quizzically looked me up and down and he said, uh, you're the new boy, aren't you? bit keen, aren't you? <laughs> my boss arrived about 20 to 10. He had a hangover, so he immediately suggested we repair for a coffee. By midday, of course, it was lunch, and that was a several-hour event. And by five o'clock, the office was locked up again. It was impossible to work after that. So, um, you know, it, it, it was an unbelievable world. I, I, I doubled my salary. I was working you know, probably two or three hours a day at best. And the rest of it was just socialising. And presumably that couldn't last. No, it couldn't. It was, it was, a, it was the time of, uh, of fixed commission. So when Big Bang came in, then suddenly it, nowadays, you know, the city, which is where I'm based here, it's a different world and uh, the hours of work are too long. It's, it, it swung too much the other way. Yes. So when did you start your own business? 1986. So I guess I'd, I'd always wanted to do that. My, my father had done that successfully in a, in a different sector. And suddenly with the advent of Big Bang, as we call it in the, in the city here, when all the stockbrokers, uh, uh, or most of them were acquired by big banks, provided the opportunity for me to set up a very, very small operation it was still relatively early in the, uh, in the in the Thatcher government years there was a new spirit of um, entrepreneurialism just starting to come through and that provided my opportunity and that was best invest was it it's, yes it's what because what, what, what later <laughs> story was I call it best investment because we were specializing in a, in a tax-driven investment that was typically shortened to BES so it was a bit of a play on words and then in the late 90s, when uh, rather late in the game, I decided we, we needed a website and Best Investment had gone. So I, well, I, I could get this Best Invest. And after a short while, I realised that, that was a rather <laughs> better name anyway. <laughs> so Good. we lost four letters. And that was helping individual investors yep, with wealth yep. management, was it? Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, the, business I've, the businesses I've run have always been aimed at, uh, at private clients. And what made your business different? Why was it successful? Well, it's two things, I think. Uh, I mean, one is it was that that, that sector at the time was characterised by uh, people of, frankly, very moderate at best ability and uh, an approach that was totally geared to, around transactions and making commissions and not on long-term relationships. So we, we adopted a an approach of... Well, 
first of all, from an investment point of view, how do professional investors go about doing doing this and, and, and using the same techniques that they did and trying to uh, use technology to keep our costs very low, uh, but also deliver a great service to, to, to clients and in that way keep our, keep our charges to them down at a very competitive level. I remember one thing you did was you used to publish a list of the dogs, which were the worst performing funds, and it got you tremendous PR coverage, didn't it? It did, but you know, it's uh, you know, it is just PR. It's not, uh, you know. It must have made you unpopular with some fund managers. It is, but you know, my shoulders are pretty broad at <laughs> that point of view. And eventually, you sold out to Three I. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. With, with some regret. And how big was the company when you sold out? What were the funds under management, the number of clients? Uh, I think we had about uh, three and a half billion under management. Uh, had a lot of clients because we we we. We had services that could deal with people with very small amounts of money as well as large. Uh, so we had over 50,000 clients, yeah, about 200 staff, and uh, managed to sell it for, for, a, for a very good price at a time when... Can I ask you what off. sort of price it was? Well, it, it was over 150 million. That's a tremendous achievement to build that up. But you went from being someone who created wealth to someone who gave wealth away, didn't you? You became a philanthropist. Yeah, I think I, I was extremely conscious of how uh, extraordinarily lucky I'd been. We don't we don't choose our parents. We don't choose the country that we're born in or the time in which we live. And uh, and in all those regards, um, you know, I came up trumps. So um, so I felt that I owed something back. And the more I got involved with that, I mean, actually, I found it was a source of huge enjoyment. So there was no uh, you know there was no loss really from my point of view. I had more money than I was going to spend. Uh, on myself, and it was um, just tremendous when you can you can try to help some other people who've uh, who've not been anything like as lucky. So you created a charitable foundation. Yes. And um, how did you choose where to give the money, or how to give the money? It's one of the most difficult jobs I've ever I've ever done, and 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 and, and still do. So a lot of the the criteria that you might use when you're trying to pick a good business. Uh, just don't work because uh, what you're you're fundamentally most interested in is how much impact these organisations are having. Yes. What's what's the result of all this activity they're doing? And uh, very few of them are good at measuring that. So you end up having to often make subjective judgments. I've always, when I'm backing businesses, uh, had a strong belief in trying to back strong management. You know, even if the even if the underlying business isn't good, if you're backing good people. They'll work out that the business plan's wrong and they'll change it. Yes. Doing it the other way around uh, is a disaster. So I try to follow some of the same um, approaches with, uh, with with charities. I've been I've been very keen on the, there's a concept called social impact bonds that the UK actually uh, has been a leader in, uh, which is a form of um, of not of making grants but of lending money to um, to uh, some sort of charitable cause, but where if the outcomes are as good as expected or better, you'll get your money back plus a financial return. And that, to me, seemed to be a very good way of, uh, of trying to bring some of the good um, aspects of capitalism into this area. It's still in its, um, in its infancy, and uh, I don't think it's ever going to be as big as I hoped it would be. But, but we are starting to see in the philanthropic area more and more emphasis now on trying to measure important things. Am I right in thinking you've suffered a serious illness? Yeah, shortly after I um, after I sold um, Best Invest and had plenty of time on my hands and more than enough money, um, diagnosed with colon cancer, had had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. But uh, my uh, my doctor very wisely had said for a year or two, um, 
it'd be a good idea. Chaps like ours, it's a good idea to have a colonoscopy. For some reason, I hadn't rushed to uh, to go and book the appointment, but after two of my friends have died from this, uh, I thought uh, there's a message here, and uh, and fortunately, they caught it just in time, and uh, uh, hopefully that's the end of that. Yes, but I urge anyone else who uh, is uh, is reading this to, to do the did same. Did that have an impact on your outlook on life? A bit. I mean, I, I think inevitably, um, you know, I've always I've always tried to uh, be trying to you know live for the moment. I think uh, you know that's that is the important thing. It's you know what what what's happening right now. You know, and uh, putting stuff off for the future. Occasionally it makes sense, but um, but often if you want to do it, you should do it, do it, do it, do it right away. So what tempted you to come back into the business world? You'd made a, your fortune, you'd done very well, you're now a philanthropist and a croquet player and a motor racer, we'll come back to that. But what made you come back into the nine-to-five? Well, yeah, I, I, I tried the retirement activity and, and it was pretty good. <laughs> I'm not knocking it at all, you know, and... Uh, Maybe one day I'll go back to that. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I, I suppose I was doing a range of, of, of other activities. But there were two things, I think, that were, 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 were driving me to come back. One was I was very upset when I saw how businesses that have been acquired, particularly by private equity owners, being run in a manner that is just geared to try to maximize short-term financial returns. And, and that is a total conflict with how I think successful businesses should be run. Um, so that was annoying me, and I was missing involvement. I mean, I had, I continued to have an involvement with Best Invest. Indeed, I had to go back and run it for eighteen months during the financial crisis when, uh, when things weren't looking so good. Um, so until twenty fourteen, I still had a connection there. But, um, but by then, I was looking to get more involved again, and uh, because I, I actually happened to like it. I happened to like the uh, investing. I've been a professional investor all, all my adult life. I, I like dealing with clients. I love the challenge of uh, of trying to make a business better and better every single day. What, where, where, where are all those small improvements that you can keep on doing that uh, that collectively add up to a lot? Uh, no, I bought a smaller firm. I mean, I contemplated starting up from scratch, which uh, then means uh, you, know, you you can create your own culture. Yeah. But in the in the world we're in right now, I, I didn't feel a time scale that would. Uh, associated with that would be appropriate for me so, so I, you so bought, bought eq investors i bought a business that, that wasn't called eq then but uh, but but is now okay and how's that going for you it's it's been a lot tougher than i expected <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah there's been there's been some sort of uh, some self-doubt along the way you know can you still do this why is it so hard you know i think i think most businesses have got a lot more difficult i mean you know, when, when i went into this uh, sector originally i said it was it was characterised with people who weren't very good at it. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Uh, it's got a lot better now. I mean, nowadays, uh, charges have to be much more disclosed. Yeah. There's a much higher level of training, uh, all of which I wholly uh, support. But it means the people we're up competing against are much better than they used yes. to be. And there's always a bit of inertia. You know, you buy something that hasn't really got any real momentum in it. You think you're going to make a big difference in the next uh, 10 minutes. Well, it takes a lot longer. A lot of clients say, yeah, John, that's very interesting. Uh, we'll be in touch. You know, it's probably what I'd say. I'd say, let's just see how this pans out for a year or two. He'll probably have a few problems to deal with. But we're over all that now. I think we're the, we're in the FT1000, uh, fastest growing companies in Europe. We're 50% up year on year. So uh, it's, it's, it's looking great. So you haven't lost your touch? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and you've founded a, a charitable foundation here too, have you? Yeah, because again, you know, we I think the more I've, I've learned about it and, uh, and, and the enjoyment I've had from it, I felt it was good to integrate it to some extent with the business. Some of our clients are interested uh, in these activities, many of our staff, and, and, and we can... If, if other people are interested in the causes that we're supporting, well, we can we, we, we can be public about what we're doing. So you've had some great successes, but uh, if you're allowed to say, you've had one or two clangers as well, haven't you, along the way? Could, dare we mention karaoke or anything <laughs> like that? What, what was the biggest mistake you made in your business Kar- career? I think the karaoke gave me more more grief than anything else. <laughs> Tell but, us about that. But, uh, well, I think we, well, that was the, that was the early nineties. Suppose I didn't have enough to do with uh, with the main business, so I was always looking to. Do. Plus, the business I was in then was very um, re- reliant on uh, on what the chancellor did each year on yeah. tax breaks, and uh, so you're always worried you're going to be put out of business. So you're trying to diversify. And uh, well, the bar next door to our office at the time suddenly started having karaoke nights. I saw that these were a lot of fun, and uh, they seemed to be able to charge a lot of money for for for, for this. So uh, so. Got into it quickly. Found out it was uh, it, it, it was much more difficult than uh, than it looked, and uh, so that didn't last all that long. Gosh, you know, I've had a I've had a, a robotic lawnmower was uh, was another another thing. We we put a bit of money in. I mean, not much grief on that, but definitely no financial return. But did you have a pub? What bought a pub to you know partly to showcase the karaoke, and then that became a nightclub. But then, unfortunately, there was a shooting there, and um, you know, did get it on the television news in the where morning. Was the, where was the club? That was in Aylesbury. But uh, <laughs> sadly, that old maxim: "There's no such thing as bad publicity." wasn't true in this case. <laughs> so, those are some of the howlers. What would you say is your proudest achievement? What's the, what do you think you're looking back at your proudest of? In my career, uh, in my career, I, th- I think now it's EQ. To be honest, you know, it would have been best invest. But I think, I think what we're doing here is, you know, is really, really great. Um, I mean, obviously, my family is my yeah. my number one thing, but, uh, but 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 on the business level, I feel. I and feel... did you get more satisfaction from building a business, or selling a business, or giving money away? Which which has given you the most satisfaction? I didn't I didn't get any satisfaction from selling the business. You know, it was very much um, there was quite a lot of regret at that time. Yes. But to be honest, the business had got to a point where I could no longer run it, and I hadn't put in place a, a management team of any debt. So I was just going crazy trying to. Uh, Trying to cover all the bases, so um, you know, but but it, you know, it was almost like uh, selling a child. I think, I mean, my, I feel with the philanthropy side, uh, I hope I've still got time to do a lot more. I think I've, I've been, I'm still relatively early on the learning curve there. I've got some ideas now that I'm hoping to start getting into operation in the next twelve months. So, uh, franchising is one. You know, in the commercial world, franchising has been a tremendously yes. successful way of, of a, for a business to be able to expand much more quickly than it might be able to otherwise, once it's proven a concept. How can you franchise philanthropy? Well, there's lots of great organisations around this country doing superb work locally, but where the people involved in it are absolutely flat out dealing with that. But they have found a, a, a type of programme, typically, that works well. Now, if you can bottle that, get all the essential ingredients down clearly then you can pretty simply raise the money to then go and back the same type of operation in another area um tell me a little bit about motor racing you've always had an, a keen interest in it a weakness for it even <laughs> yes. is that fair yeah it is well you know my father father used to race and i've had all that experience in, in fast cars started rallying in the uh, in the 90s first big one was to drove to mexico and drove to uh, to sydney uh, five years later 
did quite a bit of that. But the third time I turned a car upside down, I, I, I sort of took the view. It, it might not just be a lack of, of luck that was my problem. <laughs> so I, that's when I took up croquet, which sort of seemed to be a safer activity. But uh, but five or six years ago, I decided to go back into this. And, uh, you know, and I've still been turning cars upside down and uh, causing too much damage. But I do get a tremendous buzz out of it. And uh, I did 35 races uh, last year, and I hope to do slightly more this year so um yeah it's and what uh, sort of car do you race uh, i race 60s and 70s cars you know the cars that, that were important to me when i was yes. growing up they, they they mean most to me there's a good bunch of people involved in doing it yeah there's a tremendous adrenaline rush it's, a, it's almost a spiritual thing you know if you can get a car absolutely on its edge it's it's requiring every molecule of your being to uh, to deal with all of that so so that's good and there's another part of, mo- of motor racing that I think has been very important in, in, in my business life, which is you constantly have to make incremental improvements. You know, whatever was good enough yesterday, somebody else will have moved on tomorrow. So uh, I have one of those personalities where I cannot look at something without immediately thinking, how can I make that a little bit better? Often it is just small things, but, yes. but when you build up lots of small things, they make it, it makes a big difference. So what advice would you pass on to somebody who was starting their own business? Uh, I think the key thing is we're, we're all so different and what works for one person won't work for someone else. So probably the, the single most important thing is to understand where your own strengths are and also your weaknesses and really play to your strengths and cover your weaknesses. You know, try, to, try to have other people involved who will help you out in the areas that you're weak. You know, Some people aren't strong numerically. It doesn't mean to say you can't run a business. It makes it more difficult. But make sure you're surrounded. You've got at least one person who is very, very strong there. What are your plans for the future? How long do you think you'll carry on working? I don't think I'll ever stop working. I just think, you know, I, I've never enjoyed just lying on a beach. I'm bored stiff after a day or two. So, uh, so uh, I hope I can remain uh, active for the rest of my life. But, uh, but obviously it will change. I, I won't be spending... Uh, as much time in an office as I've done in the last last two years, but you know, so far life's been about different chapters. Uh, I hope there's a few more in this book still, good. and uh, and you know, and and it'd be good if they're a bit different, you know, because just doing the same thing all over and over yeah. isn't isn't the best thing. And how would you like to be remembered? I think in terms of just you know, trying to treat people well as as real human beings and um, being open with people uh, and thinking long term. Excellent. John Spears, thank you very much.